The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, it feels like forever since I've seen... Any idea when the last podcast we did was? It's got to be like three three weeks ago, four weeks I th- ago. I think it's at least a month. Yeah. Why? Why do we... Were we having relationship problems? What happened? I've been meaning to talk to you about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, everybody knows, because of the writer's strike and because of the sag after strike it means that uh actors producers direct, they're not allowed to come on to promote things it's it's called struck work so we've we've sort of scrambled like our guest today larry amaris is fantastic comic writer uh but we've had this had to find some different guests and and go outside the box a little bit next week i have my plumber i booked oh, my your plumber. plumber excellent yeah. my dentist he's a, he's- He's My dentist really is next Thursday, 5.15. So, okay. I mean, I'm not going to be broadcast. I just have to go to the dentist Thursday at 5.15. Oh, no, no. I booked our, my plumber. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> yes. My my dentist is busy. So, so what have you done? What have you been doing? What's life been like? What's what's happening? Well, um, you know that I got COVID. I so do. So, soon after our last podcast, yep. I got COVID. And how like, bad was it? Like, like when I, I did the home test, I had a raging headache. And I did the home test, and it was scarlet red, oh. like like bars of red. Oh, really? It gets darker the worse the COVID is. Well, it like I've 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 never had COVID. Oh, but this I've was your seen, first time. This is my first time. So, I, but I've seen a positive test because Tom tested positive like yeah. a year or so ago, and you know it could be a faint. Correct. Just it red can line. be a faint. It was it was line. bright red, like the whole line was filled wow. with red. So, um, but the, the, what, what preceded it was that I had to go in for a procedure and that's just, that's a sign of me being older because I went in for a procedure. Right. right. Whenever but, you say go in for a procedure, it generally suggests you might be older. Right. Like you don't just go see doctor. You don't go to doctors. You see specialists. Yes. That's exactly. how you're older. Exactly. So I went in a, for a procedure and I was wearing a mask in the waiting room. And then when I went in for the procedure and I had to be put under. So they were putting oxygen, you know, through my nose to wrap around my ears. Sure. And the mask was getting in the way. And I said, can I keep my mask on? And they said, yeah, you could keep it on if you want to, but they were having such a hard time getting it around my ears. I said, Oh, I'll just take it off. I said, you know what? I dodged it this far. Yeah. That was the night before I so tested So you think positive. you got it during that procedure? No, I don't think I got, but I said out loud, I took the mask off so cavalier yes. saying, I dodged it this far. I'm not going to get COVID. You're all wearing masks here. They were all yeah. doctors and nurses. I think I know where I got it. I think I got it like the week before I went to the groundlings. Oh, and okay. So and crowded. they all have it or? 
Well, I just thought because I was in a crowded theater. No, I was just thinking <laughs> the groundlings all have COVID. They all have COVID. They are exactly. all doing a show. <laughs> right, right. They were doing, it was the COVID show. <laughs> it was basically. the COVID show. Yeah. So um, uh, how did you, did you come through it okay? Well, I came through it okay, but I, this is a month later and I, you could probably hear it. I'm still congested. Wow. I'm still coughing a little bit. I'm not testing positive, but I, I call it long John COVID. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it's just, it won't go away. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, but it sounds like you're, you're getting through it. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you like spending time in bed? Was Tom waiting on you? That kind of stuff. He wasn't waiting on me as much as I expected him really? to, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we slept in separate rooms. We have separate bathrooms. Sure. When he had COVID, I slept in the travel trailer. <laughs> so, Did you really? Yeah. Oh, so I said to him, um, so we're not going to sleep in, you know, in, in the same room. And he said, Oh, so you're going to sleep in the travel trailer. I said, No, you're going to sleep in the travel trailer. <laughs> I have COVID. Um, so he slept in his, in his office, but, um, no, he was, he was good, but I spent a lot of time in bed. I watched five seasons of Outlander. Oh, really? Is it any good? I like it. It's kind yeah. of a guilty pleasure, but I, I like it. And then I watched the bear. Oh, the bear is fantastic. No, not isn't the bear. It? I watched Beef. That's what oh, I watched. Oh, I didn't watch Beef. I started it. That's Ali Wong. I started it yes. and didn't get into it very much. I liked it. It, get, it gets good. It gets okay. good. Um, and then we went. Uh, we went to Temecula. We went on on another camping trip. Yeah. And I played pickleball for the first time. Oh, nice. How were you? Actually, pretty good. So this is the deal. We go to this campground. They have one pickleball court. Okay. okay. Yeah. So. The first day we get there, we go by and four people are playing. We're like, ah, that's kind of a drag. We were really counting on it. Ah, what are you going to do? There's one court. The next day we get there. No one's there. I get, get in the court. Tom forgot his sneakers. He drives back to the campground. He comes back. Another couple pulled up in their car with their like fancy, uh, paddle bags and, um, and I'm they thinking fancy paddle bags. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell that they were like total pros, right? Yes. So, um, and I think they had like two paddles a piece, you know, it's like, <laughs> they're like they're at Wimbledon For or certain something. Situations. I use this <laughs> like, paddle. So yeah, like, like a guitarist that has four guitars lined <laughs> yeah. up on stage. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm looking at them and Tom sees me like the wheels getting going on in my head. Like, like I'm going to confront them because yeah. I, I'm looking at them like, why are you even walking into the court? We we have the court. It's our court. But you had but, no, you had, you had, uh, no, paddles I secured, and stuff. Oh, I had paddles. I mean, I, we had paddles. So right. I secured the court waiting for Tom and these guys show up and I'm looking at them like, why are you guys like walking into the court when I'm, we're here. It's, it's our court. So they asked us if we, if we would play doubles with them because there you? was only one court. And I kind of like looked at Tom and I said, yeah, okay. And I, and we said to them, we're not very good. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, uh, they did were like, they oh, split yeah. you up or was it you and Tom versus nope, them? They split up. I went yeah. with the husband. He went with the wife. Um, she was, uh, extremely bossy, which her husband commented <laughs> on a few times. And, uh, she, she actually said to me, they were, they were fine. They were yeah. fine. But at one point she actually said to me, you know, it would really help. If you hit it where they're not, <laughs> and I just I looked at her and I said, "This was your yeah. tip." 
I said, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but we, we totally held our own. Now, are you going to play, continue to play pickleball? Yeah, we're going to get new, new paddles because we have stupid paddles. You're going to get like, paddle, paddle bags? We'll probably get, yeah, because they come with a bag. <laughs> if yes. you if you spend a little bit of money that come with a bag. Yeah. But we had like cheapy ones. We have like the little rope like goes around your wrist. Oh, like that's weird. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, like gloves that you clipped on when you were a kid, you know, yeah. it's like stupid. Um, but it was great. We had a lot, a lot of fun. Then we went to a winery, which was great. Yep. And um Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um so what did you do on your summer vacation? Well, funny you should ask. No, I I've just got no. You golfed, right? You yeah. golfed? I golfed in a par three challenge, uh, for the station, uh, on Friday and I was a disaster. Oh. So, so I'm sculling the ball. You, you've played golf with me. I can't get yeah. the ball in the air at all. Um, and I'm just whacking away. And then the contest ends. We finished the fourth par three. Um, and then I play 18, 17 and 18. All of a sudden I'm hitting the ball well. All of a sudden, I'm able to hit the ball. So it's totally frustrating experience. I would like to go back to the par three, play the executive course a little bit just for fun. We got to um, do it. Yeah, we got it. I've got clubs in my car now. So uh, we went to a bunch of different hotels where Sophie is 17. And mm. so we've decided we're not going to spend more than two nights away from her because it kind of messes her up and she's disordered, discombobulated when we get home. Mm-hmm. So uh, we stayed at, let's see. The Intercontinental in downtown LA, which was a fantastic hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we drove out to uh, the desert. We stayed at a spa called Azure. Uh, I'm trying to think, where else do we go? Other hotels. We went to the Huntington, which is the one over the Langham in Pasadena, which oh, yeah. is a beautiful hotel. So we kind of went hotel hopping and stayed like two nights in each one. And it was, it was awesome. Uh, and uh, then we got a new dog. And the dog is it Veronica? Is that the Veronica, dog? Veronica, yeah. Do you want to read it? I I did. I, oh, you going to show her? Yeah, I'm going to show her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, okay, hang on. Let me grab. Yeah. Her. Let me grab. Her. Hey, Veronica, come here. Come here. Come here. Say hi to Sue. Come here. Come here, little girl. And that's Sophie. And this Aww. is Veronica. Oh, look at her. You like like bearded dogs. She is such a sweetheart. Oh my God. So, um, how old is she? She's one. Hmm. Uh, we got her from a, uh, a rescue. Uh huh. Um, she's some sort of terrier. And she is happy all the time. Oh, and how does she get along with Ron and Sophie? She and Ron play like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think she gets the most of Ron most of the time, uh, cause Ron is about half her size. Um, and she and Sophie have a mutual respect. They don't, they don't get mad at each other now. Now, do you think Sophie, what goes on in Sophie's head is like, okay, I must be getting really old and I'm going to be checking out soon. And they keep on getting new young dogs. Yeah. You know, 17, I, I think she, she's a tank. Yeah. We call her the tank. She just goes. She mm-hmm. eats when she's supposed to eat. She goes to the bathroom when she's good. She, everything is like very, very reliable with her, but she seems to have adjusted to the new dog. But let, obviously she's, uh, Veronica is Sophie insurance. Yes. Totally. Um, by the way, you know why the name Veronica? 
I was going to ask you. Nothing with Archie Comics, is it? No, Ron and Veronica. Ron Burgundy and Veronica Corningstone, <laughs> the lead characters in Anchorman. There you go. Yeah. So knew, we always. It, uh, yeah. I, fi- I should have figured it would be a movie reference. Yeah. We always use movie references. Um, but other than that, everything's been fantastic. I, it's been a really good summer. I'm excited about football season. The Rams won on, uh, yesterday. Great game. Great game. They were dominant and everybody was thinking, Oh, they're going to suck. They're going to tank. No, they, they've got a chance to be really good. I love that rookie. Uh, what's Puka, his name? Puka uh, oh God, he's great. He had such, such a great night. How, how, what an amazing first game. Yeah. Uh, incredible. And yeah. by the way, if that team gets Cooper Cup back, look out. They got Puka, uh, Puka Nakua. They've got Tutu Atwell. They've got all the fun names. Puka, <laughs> Tutu, uh, and then Cooper would be the third one. And they would, and Higby, dead. Higby had a good game. Higby had a very good game. Yeah. No, San Francisco this week. I hate San Francisco. I oh, know. Hate the fucking Niners. They suck. Yeah. So unfortunately, they don't suck. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, exactly. Unfortunately, they don't. But you um, know what game? You know what game was great? The Lions Chiefs game was a that great was game. great game. Yeah. Jared and Goff. I'm really, really happy for Jared Goff. Me too. I am a Jared Goff fan. Uh, everybody bags. I mean, they're like Jared Goff. They couldn't wait to get rid of. Him. He did get us to the 2018 Super Bowl. He did. Yeah. Yeah, so he deserves a lot of credit. And this is a good Lions team. I think they're going to win their division. So, uh, and baseball playoffs around the corner. Mm-hmm. Dodgers missing a starting rotation. Almost a whole one. But yeah. uh, but you never know. You know how baseball is. Mm-hmm. Just when you think you're not going to win, you do. Right. And, and just, just when, when you, you think, think you're you're going to win, you don't. You don't, I have like a, last one, year. One, well, one of my good friends is uh, is a Mariners fan. Oh. And he was so excited when they went on their winning tear. I think they won like seven in a row when they were in first place. Right. And um, they, I think they lost like three or four in a row. Came back to earth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. so it's my favorite time of year. Favorite cool. time of year. Football, baseball playoffs, all that stuff. Fun to do the show. I'm excited to go in every day. Uh, very excited with my new wardrobe. I've got the, the very colorful shirts that I wear. They're from Sunday Swagger. Sundayswagger.com. They're very cool shirts. I'm not paid. I'm actually, am I paid? No, they said they'll give me free shirts as long as I wear them. Okay. So there you go. There's proof you're wearing them. There it is. They're really Um, nice. Speaking of shirts, um, we're always concerned about the algorithm, right? So uh, when you go to find this show, whether it's on YouTube, if you're watching right now, you know, youtube.com, search uh, Culture Pop Podcast. Um, on Apple and Spotify, uh, Culture Pop Podcast. If you leave a five-star review and a comment of some kind, it helps us with the algorithm. So when you do that, um, please send us an email, maceandsue at gmail.com, and we will send off a very cool Culture Pop Podcast t-shirt. By the way, Milos, who is our uh, sound engineer, uh, and we'll call him our producer, mm-hmm. um, he uh, is has his culture pop podcast t-shirt and he's wearing it all over the place in Serbia. So we're blowing up in Serbia. Very cool. I don't have my t-shirt yet. I I got you a hoodie. I got you a really nice hoodie. hoodie. Yeah. So I will get it to you. I will get it to you. you We're we're like the lead singers. We, uh, we have to have a little variation on the t-shirt. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we got a fun show today. Fun guest. Uh, He started his career as a stand up comic He has become a writer who has put three books on the New York Times bestseller list. He co-wrote I Hate Everyone Starting With Me with Joan Rivers, 
with Melissa Rivers. He wrote The Book of Joan and Lies My Mother Told Me. He has written on multiple television projects, including the Mark Twain Awards, the Joy Bayar Show, and the Rosie O'Donnell Show. He's also been creative consultant for Barry Manilow's World Tours since 1992. Larry Amoros is here. Larry, thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. I have nothing else to do. I live in Palm Springs. Palm, by the way, I have huge uh, love for Palm Springs. I used to own movie theaters out in uh, in Palm Desert. At, really? Uh, yeah, at the Westfield Mall. I owned a theater complex called the Cinema's Palm Door. Uh, really? Um, you owned it? Yeah, I did. I owned it with uh, along with uh, Brian Cranston, the actor. And, and now I live here, and you don't own it anymore, so it's useless to me. Correct. It is useless. It is gone. <laughs> yes, there unfortunately. We go. As unfortunately. long as I know the groundwork. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, you know, I've got to, I want to start and we'll talk about Barry Manilow and Joan Rivers and all that Whatever. stuff. I, I kind of want to ask you as a kid, when was the first time you knew, hey, I'm funny? You know, that's interesting. It was not that I was funny when I was a kid because I wasn't. I knew what funny was. I got stuff other kids didn't get. You know, I'll never forget once we were watching. And I, I actually got to tell her this one day. I was watching the Carol Burnett show one Saturday night. Remember that great CBS oh, Saturday night? God, yeah, Saturday night, Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart and all in the family. And MASH and, and, and Carol. Mash, yeah. It was great. So I was watching, they, they used to do this sketch called um, As the Stomach Turns, which is like mm -hmm. this phony little soap opera. <laughs> and every episode, the doorbell would ring, ding dong, and Carol would open the door, and there was someone there. And it was Vicki Lawrence with her baby, it was a doll. <laughs> and she comes and she goes, oh, look, I have a baby. Carol goes lovely and drops the baby in, in the umbrella stand. Now the joke wasn't that she dropped the baby, it's that she continued walking as though it was nothing. <laughs> it was the joke after the joke. And my father goes, what are you laughing at? I said, she, she dropped the baby and didn't notice. Like it was nothing. And my father said, that's interesting, Lorenzo. And I kind of knew right then, I was kind of getting a different joke than other people were getting. I mean, the baby and the thing is funny, but her reaction to it was funnier. That there was no react, no affect at all. That's what made me, that kind of set me off. Were, you, were your parents funny? Did you grow up in a funny environment? My mother was hilarious. My father was dull as dishwater. Um, <laughs> the world's nicest man, terrible taste in woman, her specifically. She was raucously funny. And in between nervous breakdowns and overdoses, we laughed. <laughs> Three second old mommy was gone, but she was really funny. You know, she had we had a neighbor, Sandy Barnett, and they she Sandy would come over during the day, and she and my mother would be you know day drinking whatever it is they were doing in the kitchen, and I'd sit on the steps going upstairs and just kind of listen in like a fly on the wall, and it was like two Irma Bombex going back and forth, and they were just really really funny. My mother had this great set, raucously funny, raucously funny. You know, um, there's certain things she would say, I can't tell you on the air, but I mean, deeply funny woman. Why can't, what, what can't you tell us? The language. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It is a podcast. It's a podcast. So you don't want to use, you know, but without the, without the word, the joke doesn't fly. So okay. Then, then okay. Let's, let's, ground it. let's ground it then. Okay. So when did you first realize you were gay? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> is this news? That explains so much. <laughs> I cannot believe. <laughs> All these years, not a woman. And I don't know. 
Wednesday about four. No, uh, <laughs> years, years later, uh, it was kind of, um, I always had girlfriends like that and, you know, we got along just fine, but there was always something not right. Something was not, not, and, you know, for a long time I'm thinking, well, maybe she's not the right girl or maybe I'm a slow starter. And then eventually I said, oh, I got it. I got it. And, you know, and once, once you get to that point, at least you've answered the question. You know, you move on from there, but you answer the question, well, what's, what's wrong here? How old were you? 37. No, I'm just... <laughs> um, probably my early, mid-20s, I started figuring it out. Yeah, I came out when I was 28. Really? Yeah. It took so me a while. Was, yeah, me too. I mean, and it wasn't... It was kind of done... In, it, there was no formal, like, coming out. It was kind of like an installment plan. <laughs> like at work I was out with certain friends I was I played hockey so it was a very fine line I was walking yeah you know I mean it's not exactly in those days the most open environment and I was a goalie and didn't really want to have my head taken off of the shot right you know and in those days they're not you know the goalie equipment now it's like they're wearing dining room tables it's preposterous back then you couldn't knock your head off you know so it was I was always it was a juggling act Right. And I think, I think being a hockey player, even being an athlete back then, no one would have probably thought you were gay because you were an athlete. Um, yeah, it covered, it, you hate to say it covered a lot mm -hmm. because I genuinely love sports and I yep. genuinely, that's who I really am. You know, it's like, remember once years ago, somebody said, oh, you're a gay comic. And I said, no, I'm a comic. I happen to be. Yes. It's a very different yes. dynamic. Yes. You're hosting a show. You're not a gay host. You're a host who happens to be. And that's what it is. Right. Which is, which is a great point because I always had issues with people who are something with whether they're Jewish and all they talk mm -hmm. about is being Jewish and if right. they're gay, all they talk about is being gay because I just want to hear you. I, I don't need, yeah. you don't need to preface it with as a gay guy, you know? Right. I just, no, you know yeah. Yeah. It's so it's boring and predictable. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, as a gay guy, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you good at hockey? Yeah, I was. I was. Well, um, did you play like in a in a, a I played all league? Through, I, played, I played all through college, and uh, I stopped playing when my teammates asked me to. Um, <laughs> we, we, we used to play at this um, at this Can Am tournament up in Lake Placid in the early '80s. Wow, cool. And it was, it was fantastic. I mean, we got, you know, you get, I'll never forget, there was once where they always had like a bunch of celebrities come up there, you know, the Olympic complex and Gordy Howe was up there one year. Cool. And Gordon, you know, he's retired by now. He's probably 60 and he's on the ice and there's some hotshot goalie down there and they're skating around. And Gordy says to the guy, he goes, I'm going to beat you five times from the blue line on my backhand, top corner. I goes, go ahead. Boom, 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 boom. You couldn't believe it. Wow. On his wow. backhand from 50 feet out, he's zipping him into the corners on that. And it's like, wow, wow. Yeah. That was so, you know, that was kind of the first time I ever got on the ice uh, against like a pro. We were practicing once and we lived in Long Island and Long Beach where the Rangers used to practice. They used to all live there. And Brad Park was the defenseman who was on the ice. And he said he'd take a couple minutes. I said, would you take a couple of shots at me? <laughs> sure. I felt this thing hit my leg. Huh. I thought he literally broke my leg in half. It was just a boom. And I said, oh, good Lord. This is a whole other level of crazy. Yeah, yeah. A, and years later, I was in Buffalo, and we were um, 
I was in college. We were, we, I think it was just like a, a midnight skate, like kind of a zoo hockey thing. But some of the Sabres were, on, were practicing on their, whatever they were doing. And the goalie, their goalie was a guy named Jerry Desjardins back in the 70s. And we're all in the locker room afterwards, and he's getting undressed. And under his goalie pads, he had towels wrapped around mm. him. And he took his, when he took his sweats off, his legs were blue. Yeah. I mean, this is with pads, with towels, and it just, it's kind of battered. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Is that and when like, you checked out? No, no, no. I checked out when shots kept going in. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> we were, we were, we were at this move. Pan Am tournament, and I got beaten by a couple of shots. And one of the defensemen comes over and he goes, you know, two years ago you had that. And I was like, got it. You're right. Yeah. And I was done. Yeah. I miss it a lot. I still watch it. You know, I mean, um, out here in Palm Springs, they have a new minor league team. The Kraken. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. And they're really good. They made it to the finals in their first year. What are they called? Right. The Palm Springs? Uh, the uh, Coachella Valley Firebirds. There you go. Yeah. I have friends that went to see him and apparently it's a beautiful arena and. Fantastic. Yeah. Very it's cool. A great. They did a great job with the with the with the building. Um, the games are really exciting, and what I love about it is, given where Palm Springs is, you go and it holds about eleven thousand, brand new, and the audience is so diverse from every possible background you can imagine. These are typical hockey fans. There's a lot of Hispanic people in the audience because of where we live. There's a lot of gay people in the audience. It's so wonderful, and everybody's really into it. You know, it's. I was going to say, you probably get a lot of walk-ins because it's so hot. Well, people just want to get out of the heat. Come <laughs> on in. just want to be around the ice. Just get it in the air conditioning. <laughs> um, but it's great. And, you know, it's so funny. I used to love going to minor league baseball games. And I still do periodically. Because you get, there's something like, you, I got a Rancho Cucamonga. Well, I forget. Yeah. And there's just something so much fun that's different than a major league game. You know, just that element of the game for its own sake. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. I love and it. you know, it's like small town, you know? It is. One of the things I like, and Rancho Cucamonga is one of these, uh, the Quakes, right, is the nickname. Yes. The, the players make virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, they make nothing at all. In fact, they stay, a lot of them, with families that are fans of the team. Really? Yeah. So it's it's to that point where it's like, hey, we've got so-and-so living with us from the Quakes. It goes on like that all the time because there's very little. Minor league baseball players are unbelievably underpaid, um, and they are just scraping by. So, yeah, I mean, minor league baseball is fun, though. I mean, I started, one of my first jobs was uh, as traveling secretary for the Toledo Mudhens baseball team. And uh, What's that? Was that Corporal Klinger's team on man? Yes, yes, it was. Jamie Farr's team, exactly. And I had a blast working minor league baseball. It is just, it's so much fun. And the guys are really down to earth. There's kind of two guys. There are guys that have been there for a long time and might not make it, didn't get their cup of coffee. And then there are guys that are hotshot signees who know they're going eventually. So there's this interesting dynamic that exists. But minor league baseball is a blast. It's a blast. It's kind of fun. You know, they have all those little... Uh, those little marketing things like, you know, you win a free chicken night and all this right. oddball stuff. And it's just great. Hit it's the great. sign and win a thousand dollars. That kind of stuff is, is I love really it. Fun. Yeah. It's, it's a ton of fun. Well, years ago, they had a uh, independent baseball team in Long Beach called the, uh, the, Ar- the Long Beach Armada. Armada. Really? And it was right in my neighborhood. So, it, you know, we, we could just walk to it from our house. And they had young guys, guys that maybe weren't going to make it. 
And then they had guys who were pet, who were not in baseball in major league baseball. So Ricky Henderson was on the, um, San Diego surf dogs. Wow. And, uh, Jose Canseco was, was this after uh, they finished after they finished. Yes. And they still wanted to play. And so they this still wanted like to play. Last and, chance saloon. And yeah. And, and Ricky Henderson, who was probably in his forties at the time had a better bat average than anybody still stealing bases. And Jose Canseco, whenever he came to the bat, that came to bat, everybody booed him. <laughs> oh, did they really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's very funny. Very funny. So Long Beach. Wow. So Larry, you do, you've done a ton of stand up in your career. I do years ago. Yeah. What, what was that first night like for you? First night on stage. Uh, the first real night. I mean, I'd done a couple of very, like two or five minutes here, five minutes there. But the first real night was the night I auditioned to Catch a Rising Star. Um, and I killed. Mm. killed. Don't know how, don't know why. It was just one of those nights where I just, you know, everything fell in place. I had like my little six minutes material. Um, I, it, the first thing, uh, do you, Sue, do you remember the first thing you ever wrote? The first yeah. thing you ever did? Yeah, sure. What was it? Well, you know, I did impressions when I first started. Oh, I didn't so know. That. I didn't know if you ever saw that. Of no. Me. So um, I wrote a bit. My shtick was um, I had a deep voice. So I did the wives of famous people because my voice was deep. But they, but they sounded just like their husbands. What a great premise. <laughs> so I just wrote, you know, jokes for each person that I did an impression of. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great. Um, Steve, did you ever do stand up? No, I never did. You know, I do uh, radio. I'm on ESPN here in Los Angeles. Know, yeah, yeah. So, so I've been here he, for a long time. But I, it's kind of like impromptu, right? It's kind of spontaneous impromptu comedy that we do every day with sports. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, a friend of mine is, uh, w did a big Broadway show. And I said, I don't know how you do eight shows a week. And he said, I don't know. how. At least I'm doing the same show. I don't know how you do five because you've got to come up with brand new material for each one. You do. So I kind of put it into perspective for me a little bit. Well, I mean, what you're doing every day is, is extraordinarily difficult. There's no script. Yeah. I mean, it's conversation and humor and wit and whatever comes out. But I mean, so when I do, haven't done it on stage, you kind of know it becomes a comfort zone. Yeah. Sure. You know, I mean. I don't know. I mean, I took acting classes. I was horrible. I mean, I was <laughs> terrible. I thought I'd be really good, you know, because I did stand up and I'd been on stage. No matter what I did, it came out funny. So like we're doing Schindler's List and they're laughing and it's, they really shouldn't be <laughs> laughing here. You know, I understand it's pots and pans, but still. So I, there was that thing I couldn't get past. And what happened is I have a terrible memory. I can't remember anything. I mean, I don't know how you remembered your act. So I could not. So I, I, I'd venture into the audience, what they call crowd work, but it really wasn't because I just couldn't remember what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I became very, very good at it very quickly. Hmm. You know, and it's funny. I rarely say anything good about myself because my self-esteem is, you know, like most comics in the toilet. Mm -hmm. um, I was good at that. Right. I was good at that. I was good on my feet. Which is such an art. You know, I was more of a, you know, pretty much straight monologist, but the moments that I did that were off the cuff, were the best moments I've ever had on stage because it was in the moment, you know, um, any kind of repartee that I just came up with was so much more satisfying than a joke that was tried and true.
I agree. You know, and, and the thing is, when you when you're doing it like like you do every day, inspiration takes a second. After that, it's work. Right. You know, okay. There's the thought. Now what? Yeah. Now what do I do with it? You know, I mean, I look back at some of those days, and it was fun. I mean, I still remember little things I said, just oddball. There was once, and again, not having been out, it was like more inside joke. Even though I wish it wasn't. Not looking back. Right. I said to someone in the audience, I said, "What's your name?" She goes, "I'm Nelly." I said, "So am I." What's your name? <laughs> they stared at me. They stared at me, but I knew it was funny. And I was like, "Oh, okay." We're not there yet, but yeah. you know that kind of stuff. It's like, so, I, I, go ahead. Uh, well, I would because you said that you started a Catch a Rising Star, and and the f- the first place I ever went on was the Improv in New York. But then mm-hmm. I did go to Catch yep. uh, in the like I guess it was probably like seventy nine, and I don't know what year you started. Eighty one. Okay, so Richard Belzer was the king of oh. Catch a Rising Star when I the first time I'd ever been there mm-hmm. and then for years. So was he the house MC when you were there? No, or was he was, Rogers? He, no, there was no, the house, the, the house MCs when I was there was Adrian Tulsh, Bill mm-hmm. Maher and JJ wall. were doing okay. those. And Michael Hampton came every now and again. Mm-hmm. And then Bill moved out, you know, to, to LA and became politically incorrect and all those things. Um, and then I kind of stepped into that void when Kelly moved and, you know, they you just kind of the progress. I, I was doing it probably for a good four or five years in the early to mid eighties. Hmm. So let's, let's pivot here. I love Joan Rivers. Me too. Yeah. And you knew her really well. I did. So for la- and and legendary. And I mean, watched her my entire life for lack of a better question. What was she like when she wasn't on stage, when she wasn't on camera? The greatest. The greatest. She was, it, 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 you know, when you're on stage, it's an act. And even though it may, it's a, it may be an exaggeration of yourself, it's a character. So it's a character. I don't know what you're like off stage. I assume this is an exaggeration to some extent with more, see, with a more focused point of view. Yes. Joan was, first of all, she was a lady, um, elegant. Uh, you know, she wouldn't leave the house if she wasn't. She said, my job, I'm Joan Rivers. So when I walk out of the house, I'm working. So she wouldn't go to the, she wouldn't go to the corner store. If she wasn't in Chanel. She dressed. Hmm. Um, we were at Melissa's house. We were filming, I think the reality show. Um, Joan knows best. So Joan and Melissa, Joan knows best. Right. And Melissa's son, Cooper, who's probably 10 or 11 at the time, used the F word. And Joan said, don't you ever talk like that. Hmm. And he said, you use the word, she said, on stage, it's part of a show. We don't talk like that at home and in real life. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, if, if she met you just now, she'd say, Steve, are you hungry? Do you need anything? Can I get you something? Have you had lunch? And she, she wouldn't cook it herself. She'd have someone do it. <laughs> sure. She'd say, help, staff, get Steve lunch. <laughs> but, you know, she used to walk around with this bag with all these schmatas and crap from her QVC line. And no matter where she went, we got on a plane to flight attendant. Oh, give this to your mother. Give this to someone. So it's a bee pin. It's a scarf. It's, it's who she was. She was lovely. And so n- ha- nothing like the character. How did you come to, uh, to collaborate with her? Did she see you at a, at a club? Like wh- no, what was it, your meeting? First meeting? It was interesting. Um, I've had a lot of interesting first meetings. Um, when I first started doing, before I did stand up, I started writing jokes 
I heard, I took a, a, a comedy writing class. And someone said, well, Joan Rivers buys material for writers. I said, well, I'll find out, where do I fax things? So I faxed over like 20 jokes. And she paid like $10 a joke in those days, but they bought like five of them. So I was very excited. Very sure. And that was that. And then I said, I can, I'll make more money doing it myself. So I decided to do stand-up. Years later, I'm working on the Mark Twain Prize, uh, which I did for like, I don't know, 10 years or so. And I think it was the year George Carlin died and we were presenting him posthumously. She was one of the people who were there to honor him as part of the, part of the, the show. And she said, I need a writer. I didn't write anything. So they send me into a room with her. It's a writing room. And I'm introducing. She said, your name's familiar. I said, I wrote jokes for you a million years ago by fax. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, what makes you laugh? And I thought, I'll take a shot at it. I said, the folly of the Holocaust. She <laughs> goes, what's your phone number? <laughs> and we just hit it off. She said, so we wrote her little thing and it went great. And afterwards, she says, I want you to write with me. I said, okay. Um, I said, what are the ground rules? Is there anything off limits? She goes, no. Hmm. I said, what about Edgar's suicide? She said, I had 10 minutes before they closed the casket. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right we're gonna be good we're gonna be good and she was just great it was like i knew her all my life she was fantastic so there's this idea out there this reputation that she was like always working and always planning to work right was yeah. she was she like that was she always like hungry for work and looking for as much as she could find not as much as she could find but i, I again i'm speculating here um I think a lot of it was relevance. She used to say, "If you take a vac, if you take a day off, they'll feel they'll you won't you won't you'll never work again. Don't take a vacation, you ain't coming back." Hmm. And she said, "As she's get older, there's younger people looking to take her place." You know, shortly before she died, we were um, at the house one day, and she was talking. She had just she was eighty, and she died at eighty-one. And she said, "You know, I think I have another good four or five years where I'm viable on television." Hmm. So that kind of only so much work done. She goes, think another four or five years, then they won't, they won't, I, that, that road will be closed for me. But she was thinking ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Right, she right, was thinking right. ahead. And even the change in her materials, it started getting a little bluer, which I didn't love. It started getting a little coarser, but she said, that's the younger demographic. It's where it's going. And she wanted to stay relevant. You know, it's the joke we'd write with, with a different tone and a different angle. Um, but it was always in Joan's voice. You know, no, go ahead. Sorry, Larry. Go ahead. We'd see, you know, we'd all sit around. We, we were on um, we were on vacation in Mexico once. She would take, at the end of it, like over Christmas time, she would take two weeks and she would rent this spectacular villa complex north, about 40 miles north in Punta Mita, this fancy schmancy area near Puerto Vallarta. And she'd bring Melissa and friends and family down for a week or two. And I was privileged to go a couple of times. And we came, that's, we came up with one of the book ideas. First book, the first book we wrote did really, really well. It was a bestseller. And she said, they want another book. What do you think? So we're just sitting there under this like cabana bullshitting. And the idea comes up. We had this idea. Let's do a diary. Mm. And we started, we literally sat there and started writing. As I'm talking to you, we started writing right then and there. Hmm. Because it was like December 31st. It was New Year's Eve. We were there. Um, she's very funny. If you would say something in passing to her, like we're all bullshitting now. Sorry about the language. We're all playing now. Yeah. You say something funny. She'd go, on my nose. Write it down. She'd just go, mm -mm -mm. Right, it's on my nose. Write it Interesting. down. Interesting. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Or we go back and forth and she, we, I say something, she'd say something and we come up with what we wanted. You so, know? so was your writing with her, you know, pretty collaborative? Cause you know, it says that you're a ghostwriter. So ghostwriter usually means that you're writing the book for the person. How collaborative was it with her? Uh, pretty collaborative. Um, I did most of the heavy lifting, but it would start out with a conversation on the phone. Like we had the, the, the first thing we did was a book called I Hate Everyone Starting With Me, which became this huge bestseller. Thing. I, my name on it doesn't sell five copies. Her name on it, bestseller. I'm the guy who's doing a lot of the work. But we'd say, let's come up with a list of 15 things we both hate and let's talk tomorrow at two o'clock. And we turn our tape recorders on and we go. I hate midgets. I hate that I can't call them midgets. And we go back and forth like this. <laughs> Little people's not funny. It breaks the rhythm. How about dwarf? No, it's an illness. And we just go back and forth. And that's how it would happen. you know. Or I'd write a chapter and I'd send it to her and she'd send it back rewritten and vice versa. She'd send me something and I'd rewrite it and send it back to her. So, so how would she, how would she survive in today's woke politically correct, you know, super sensitive world, a woman like Joan Rivers. I I, I think we need her now more than ever, quite frankly. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we don't get political, but it's it's funny. Republicans have no sense of humor and liberals are offended by virtually everything. Hmm. So uh, where do you go? Right. One side doesn't get it and the other side can't hear it. (laughs) It's like, calm down, they're jokes. Yeah. I think she would... I think she'd do what she does. Yeah. You know, she was like, after um, the uh, Diary of a, of a Mad Diva came out, and that was the diary we wrote, and it's very funny. And she was on Tavis Smiley. Hmm. She did a two-part interview. It was only supposed to be one part, but it was really great. And she's talking about the book, and he said, did any celebrities get mad at you? And she goes, yeah, I got a call from Kristen Stewart's lawyer. Now, I remember the day that happened because she called me. She goes, we're getting sued. I go, no, you're getting sued. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see my name anywhere in that production, do you? And what happened? She goes, we had written a thing about Kristen Stewart was after the Twilight series was having an affair with the director, her director. And so we wrote a thing about how if her movie career didn't work, she can get a job in the circus because she can juggle balls. Well, her lawyer gets, we got a call, pull out of the book season, just sit, blah, 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 blah. So Joan said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them I'm going to meet you in court and we're going to put her on a stand and I'm going to ask her exactly how she touched the director's genitals. And I'm going to bring in a dummy and a doll and she can show me. And if she didn't touch his balls, I'll pull it out of the book. <laughs> we never heard from him again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she talk, she would talk about because Tavis was asking her a lot of her stuff was really edgy, but that's who she was. And she said, and, and again, this is before all the Bill Cosby crazy stuff. Yeah, you know, she came up with in in the sixties with Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor and Lily Tomlin, um, and Woody Allen all down in the village. And she, there was a point in her career where somebody didn't want her whatever, and she got some flack, and Cosby told her. If you can make one-tenth of one percent of the people laugh, you play arenas for the rest of your life. Hmm. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You can offend 99.5% of the world. That other 5% will buy a mansion. Right. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Yeah. 
And it's right. You know, there's, there's something to that. So when I was a kid, the very first 45 I ever bought was Mandy by Barry Manilow. And this, I'm sure Barry would be honored by this, but I also named my pet hermit tree crab Mandy, uh, which I thought I was tell a, him that tomorrow. I'm going to see him. That's <laughs> a very nice tribute, I think. How did you originally connect with with Barry Manilow? He found me. He was looking for a new collaborator, a new writing collaborator, not music, because I don't know shit about music. Um, a new collaborator, and he was looking through a bunch of. Uh, you know, like when you do evening at the improv, you've done all that stuff, right? So he's looking at a bunch of comics doing that. And I'm, he saw me on something. I don't know if it was Rosie's show, one of those shows. And he's, my, he saw my opening line. He said, find him. Because the opening line was, I'm sorry I'm late. I just got out of the hospital. I had major surgery. I had my mother removed from my back. That was my <laughs> opening joke. He said, find him. Find him. So I had just, I literally had just been living in LA about a year and I get a call from his publicist to go. They want to interview me, a director and a publicist want to talk to me. So I meet with them and apparently they like me because a couple of nights later, uh, I'm breaking the Yom Kippur fast. Yeah. And my phone rings and I go, hello. He goes, hi, is this Larry? It's Barry Manilow. And it was Barry Manilow. I go, yeah, hi. He goes, what are you doing? I said, we're breaking the fast. He goes, chew quickly. I want you to come over. Hmm. So I told my friends, I said, finish the meal and clean up. And I went to the house in Bel Air and met him. We got along great. And wow. he has become not only one of my best friends, but talk about a pro and somebody who really, I mean, you don't stick around this long at this level. If, you don't, if you're not good, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's, he's kind of what you see. He's just a nice man. And he's smart and he's funny, you know, I mean, he's got a great, he's, he's funny. So we get along great, you know, and it's just been, if you would have told me this was 1992 when I met him and I'm still here, yeah, and we're doing better than ever. So it's just, you know, it's when you're around a long time, you guys know this, you know, it becomes kind of a privilege to keep working like this. Yes. I mean, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm really, really very fortunate, you know, and he's fantastic. Now, it's one thing to write your own jokes, but to write in someone else's voice, what, what's that like? If you agree that something is funny, then it's a matter of language and tone. Yeah. You know, so if we want to talk about, if we want to talk about Las Vegas, what do we find funny about Las Vegas? Then I'll say what I think. And then he and I will go back and forth till we get it in his voice and his tone. And if you do that with anybody, I mean, like comedically, my own, my own mind works similar to Jones. It wasn't that big a stretch for me. I mean, I wasn't celebrity driven the way she was, but the cadence and the rhythm and the da, 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 it's kind of how I used to watch her on TV when I was a kid on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you kind of, it was easy. That and must I, be amazing. As a kid, you saw her on Ed Sullivan and then you're working with her. Well, when it, well, the day I met Barry, he goes, are you, are you familiar with my music? And I told him, I said, I can sing the entire catalog very badly. Yeah, I am music. I write the songs. Yeah, no, I knew all of it. I mean, I grew up like you. I, I listened to Barry Manilow. That's, I'm a very sort of mainstream. It's like, I never got David Bowie. I was never hip enough to understand it. I really wasn't. <laughs> I can't stand Joni Mitchell. It's screechy and annoying. I, you know, I just, 
I don't understand heavy metal. It's just people banging shit. I just don't understand it. There's <laughs> banging and banging. There's no melody here. <laughs> You know, you're, but you're perfect to live to live in Palm Springs. I am. I'm very. <laughs> I have the most. I'm like Fred Silverman was in television. <laughs> he himself can't do anything, but he has very broad taste that, and has a thumbprint on America. You know, it's like Clive Davis. Clive can't play an instrument. Doesn't know a lot about music, but knows a hit when he hears it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he'll he'll walk in and say, "No, no, no, that needs strings," and he walks out of a room. But he's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, there was a story. Um, Barry did this uh, radio series in, Brit- in Britain called They Write the Songs about songwriters on BBC. It was wonderful. And one of the things, they, it, it, the four seasons, three seasons, a bunch of different episodes, different generations of music from, uh, from the 20s to big band to pop to Motown. And he, there was a thing he was talking about, Barry Gordy. And do you remember, um, I think the song was Baby Love by the Supremes, you know, Baby Love, my baby love. Yep. He didn't like what he what he heard, and he walked and he said, "Uh-uh, it needs an ooh ooh in front to make it work." They put an ooh baby love that made the song a hit. Otherwise, wow, it's, wow. it's that kind of an ear. He walks in, no, it needs a little ooh ooh up front. Something missing. Yep. Wow. Well, yeah. listen, I uh, you, you mentioned before the show. I I would love to see Barry Manilow's show for uh, Christmas. I hear he does an amazing Christmas show at the McCallum Theater. Five nights. It's all for charities. It's great. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so it's Christmas songs, it's pop songs, it's 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 a beautiful production. I mean, it's the production value is extraordinary. Well, I you know I can't say this of all our guests, but you're in Palm Springs. I spent a lot of time in Palm Springs. I would love to love to meet you, man. I'm here. Let me know when you're here. I am. Cool. I'll take you to I'll take you to Sherman's for for Delhi. Oh, uh, you got to go to Sherman's. Absolutely. You went. We, we went. Where yeah. Did, where did Sherman's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Sherman's is fantastic. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate you coming on. Fun talking. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it so much. I'll talk to you soon. There you have it, Larry. Larry, what a nice guy. One of the funniest humans ever. Um, I, you know, he said one of the funniest things that I, anybody's ever said. I wasn't there that night, but he was obviously a big fixture at Catch a Rising Star and a lot of celebrities hung out at that bar. So one of the comedians, he was part of a comedy team. um, his name is Buddy Mantia, was um, Alto and Mantia. And he was dating Barbara Feldon, who played Agent 99 on Get right, Smart. Sure. So Larry is just kind of like walking through the bar. He may have actually been walking to the stage to MC, or he just came off stage and he walks over and he looks at, at the two of them and he says, Look, 99 and 100 to Buddy. <laughs> That's great. Funny. That's great. Very funny. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's do a couple of things. First of all, don't forget, subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on YouTube. Just search Culture Pop Podcast, hit the subscribe button. Anytime you leave a review or a comment, it helps us in the algorithm. We're just going to call it the algorithm. Uh, also, uh, Apple and Spotify, uh, search Culture Pop Podcast. And again, leave a comment, five star rating. We appreciate that a lot. Um, and we'll let you know that coming up, you and I are both big fans of the show physical yes we are uh it is such an interesting weird it's weird right so yeah weird yeah, uh, yeah yeah and great just great acting and writing and oh yeah and rose Byrne, unbelievable rory scoville who's been on the show fantastic it really uh paul sparks who was just on the show 
mm-hmm. awesome on it. Uh, and we're lucky on our next show, we're going to be joined by Stephanie Lang, who has directed most of the episodes of Physical this year. So we'll dig into that a little bit next time. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you guys a lot. Uh, we will see you next time. Sue, great seeing you. You too. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.